On behalf of the Mayflower Church family and staff, I welcome each of you wherever you might be this morning, in Florida with fellow Mayflower members and friends on the West Coast, rising before the sun to join us, to East Coast friends keen for a word of hope in grim and troubling times, to those here in Michigan, although we are physically apart in and through the work of the Spirit, the one Jesus called our advocate, our teacher, that which stirs the heart with faith and love and hope. It is by the Spirit. As Scripture proclaims, we are indeed this morning one. If you receive our Friday church email, I invite you to follow along with our order of service and to sing when you can to read along with the scripture passages as you can, and when we pray to join with me in one voice. So now I invite you to prepare your heart and your soul and your mind to come before that which is holy in our world, that which sustains us by grace, the one who surrounds us with steadfast love as we walk the valleys and the hills experiencing both sorrow and joy. Hear now our call to worship. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, we read, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what is required of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, And to walk humbly with our God. As we hear the words of the prophet, let us be reminded. It is in and through the act of worshiping God that we are shown what is good in our world. What is required of us. How to choose to do what is right. To be inspired to love mercy. And to choose once again, above all, to walk humbly with our God. Come, let us worship one and all.
In the early Christian church, it was a tradition to read a morning psalm for comfort, guidance, and inspiration. Our psalm this morning is 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. Amen. Old Testament reading this morning is from Proverbs chapter 18, verse 12. Listen now for God's word. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty. But humility comes before honor. Our first New Testament reading is from James, chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and the Lord will lift you up. Our gospel reading is from Luke 19. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. 
untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as it had been told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We all have ways of coping, don't we, with COVID-19. Laughter helps sometimes. Lynn shared a meme with me a few days ago. A meme is a funny, altered photo that you share online with friends. The meme was a doctored photo of a dog that had somehow climbed to the very top of the kitchen cabinet and was now curled up right below the ceiling. The caption read, No, I'm not coming down. We've already been on 20 walks today. Leave me alone. On Twitter a few weeks ago, I discovered Calvin and Hobbes was posting its old comics, Remember Calvin and Hobbes, created by Bill Waterston, published from the late 80s to the mid-90s. It's considered one of the greatest comic strips of all time. 45 million copies of Calvin and Hobbes' books have been sold worldwide. If you've never seen the strip, while Calvin is a precocious and mischievous six-year-old boy, and Hobbes is his imaginary tiger friend, together they navigate their own friendship teachers and classmates, Calvin's parents, and along the way they, they make us laugh and they make us think. For example, on the first panel of one strip, we see Calvin's mom painting what appears to be a bookcase in the bubble above her head. We read what is Calvin's voice saying, Mom, and she responds, What Calvin? In the second panel, the mom is still kneeling before the bookcase, and we read Calvin say, You know the living room couch? The mom turns in Calvin's direction and responds, What about it? In the third panel, we see the mom is is panicked as Calvin says, Don't you think it's too wide? In the fourth panel, Calvin and his mom stand in front of the couch, Calvin clearly hiding a a hacksaw behind his back. And he says, I was just asking. Calvin and Hobbes made us laugh, but the popularity of the comic strip has also been attributed to how it made us think. The strip often tackled complex subjects such as philosophy and theology and our place in the world. This week I came across one where where Calvin is facing one way, his arms are outstretched, mittens on his fingers, while, while Hobbes stands facing the other way and his paws tucked behind him. And Calvin says to Hobbes, It offends the human ego, that nature is indifferent to us. Do you think that's true? This season of Lent as a church, we have embraced the ancient Christian practice of walking alongside Jesus as he heads to Jerusalem and and stopping along that sacred path to reflect on particular moments and situations. These these stops are historically called stations and referred to, for example, as as stations of the cross. The number has fluctuated and centuries have passed, but most lists include 14. 
As a congregation, we have chosen to highlight seven of these stations and so far have reflected on the station of mortality and the reality of eternal rest. The blind beggar and opening our eyes to life rather than shutting ourselves off. Of Zacchaeus and choosing to come down from our tree of curiosity and meeting Jesus face to face. And last Sunday, we passed by the station of trust and heard Jesus say, To whoever is given little and is entrusted with little and does right with that which is little, they will be given and entrusted with much. This morning, we turn to the station of the cult. As we read in Luke chapter 19, which immediately follows last week's passage, after Jesus had said this about being trustworthy regarding that which is little, he went on ahead. He approached the Mount of Olives, and he sent two of his disciples to go get a colt and to untie it and to bring it to him. And they went ahead and they got that colt, and they put Jesus on it. It was last year during the season of Lent that I stared down early one morning at a large black notebook I had purchased at Barnes & Noble. Of all the things, I started to write a poem. Now, I had not written a poem in decades. It was something I enjoyed doing in my teenage years, but not so much recently. But that first poem led to a second, and during Lent, I at least started a poem every morning as my Lenten practice. And as that project evolved, I came across a devotional book that paired poems with images. And I discovered that when the written word is set alongside an image, our imagination in many ways is invited to roam between the two and to make its own connections. And so gazing down at my poems, I decided to do the same. And it was a few years ago that we dropped our son Brendan off for a semester abroad in London that I happened to be in their subway system called the Two. I saw there a row of empty poster beds used to promote the latest film or or play or cultural event. What caught my eye was someone had taken down all the posters that had been posted one on top of the other through the years, down to the, the original empty poster bed. All that was left visible after this process were, were bits and pieces of old posters here and there, tiny remnants of films and plays and events. Ooh, time had passed. If you happen to receive our Friday worship email, you'll find an image that that I paired with a a poem I wrote about this fifth station, the Station of the Cold. And that particular photo captures a poster bed with a a scrap of of yellow poster just below the center that, that sort of looks like the shape of Manhattan. There's a small flake of red and black on the right with shadowy light blue and gray images that fill the rest of the page, all of which combine into something that vaguely remembers the work of, say, Jackson Pollock or Vasily Kandinsky. And when I think of that photo's depiction of the endeavors of, of filmmakers and actors and artists and graphic designers all being stripped down to, to mere fragments, I'm reminded of one of the spiritual truths we encounter repeatedly in the Bible. And that is our our human ego and our sense of self-importance is fleeting and is always ultimately dashed. In other words, when I came across that London tube poster bed, I was left with this palpable reminder Life ultimately humbles us all. 
But also within that lesson of humility, there is something unexpectedly engaging, beautiful, and even profound. Luke records as Jesus approached the hill called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples saying, go to the village ahead and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. I enjoy reading the work of biblical scholars Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crisson. And a few years ago, they, they published this fascinating book of reflections on Jesus last week. In that book, they noted this. They noticed two processions entered Jerusalem on a spring day in the year 30. It was the beginning of the week of Passover, the most sacred week of the Jewish year. And one was a peasant procession, the other an imperial procession. From the east, Jesus rode a colt down the Mount of Olives, cheered by his followers. Jesus was from the peasant village of Nazareth, notes Morgan Karsam. His message was about the kingdom of God, and his followers were from the peasant class. They had journeyed to Jerusalem from Galilee, which was about 100 miles to the north. On the opposite side of the city, from the west, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, entered Jerusalem at the head of a column of imperial cavalry and soldiers. While Jesus' procession proclaimed the kingdom of God, Pilate's procession proclaimed the power of, of empire. The two processions, they write, embody the, the central conflict of the week that led to Jesus' crucifixion. And what exactly is the lesson of that central conflict? between the kingdom of God and the power of empire. This week, as I considered that question, I kept returning to Luke's description of Jesus asking for and riding on the simplest of animals, a colt. And the image and the lessons of that London to poster bed. And it felt as if what this station reveals, the, the station of the cult, is what we might call the strength of humility. We, we heard that message in our two other passages this morning from the Jewish scriptures, Proverbs, a book attributed to King Solomon, considered one of the wisest men who ever lived. We read before a downfall. The heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. From the book of James in the New Testament, we read, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and the Lord will lift you up. One of my favorite authors is Alan Lightman. He is a novelist and nonfiction writer and physicist and professor at MIT. This week I finished his wonderful book, Discoveries, where at the end, he made this observation. Measuring in powers of ten. We human beings are almost exactly midway between the, the largest objects in the universe, the galaxies, and the smallest that we have explored with our particle accelerators, the, the electron and the quark. We stand as human beings in the middle. At times, however, doesn't it seem our human ego and our sense of self-importance attempts to convince us otherwise that we are in fact on top financially? academically, artistically, athletically, physically, relationally, and even spiritually. 
But if these past few weeks have taught our world anything, is it not that this feeling is and has always been an illusion? That although it might, as Calvin and Hobbes put it, offend the human ego, that nature is indifferent to us. COVID-19 reminds us that we are not at the top, but we are in the middle. And if anything, what has happened over these past few weeks is that the world has found itself on the eastern edge of Jerusalem, riding now a lowly colt, and not vainly as a triumphant procession, as an empire from the west. But the thing is, the station of the cult proclaims, when we do enter from the east, whenever we are humbled, it is then and it is there, in that place, within that attitude, that God can then lift us up. For it is there that we will not only find a cult, but it is there that we will find Jesus. In the name of the Creator, the Sustainer, and the Redeemer. Amen. In Mozart's famous opera, The Magic Flute, he creates a world of his own, a fairy tale of light and darkness and battles of good against evil. In the second act, at the beginning, the character Zarastro sings a beautiful, stately aria where he asks the gods to protect Tamino and Pamina, who are embarking on a journey filled with trials and tribulations. This morning's uh, anthem, O Lord, Our God, is the result of Mac Harrell's writing a new sacred text to this aria by Mozart. He writes a prayer to God for help and guidance in troubling times, knowing that with God beside us, we will find our way. This prayer is also the theme of Mozart's opera, as the magic flute is a story of darkness, light, and finding your way in this world. Every month, Mayflower leans upon the generosity of members and friends to fund our budget with approximately $100,000 a month of support. That means roughly every Sunday, members and friends give about $25,000 through plate offerings and checks and credit cards and giving online. All of this results in a yearly budget of a little over a million dollars. As we reported during our congregational meeting in January, as a congregation Over the past decade, we have been thrifty in regards to personnel costs and now give away 15% of our budget to those who are in need. These are, of course, extraordinarily challenging times for all businesses and institutions. Know that your moderator, your vice moderator, and treasurer, as well as committees, are working on adopting a streamlined budget to sustain our mission and our ministries to weather this storm as the good ship Mayflower. Please know you can give online on our homepage, on our website, where you will find a donate button. We also have a special mailbox under the portico where you can drop off an envelope. To worship is to be reminded from whom all blessings do flow. And while our ushers might not physically wait upon us for the morning offering, Your church does ask for your support to continue to serve our membership, our friends, and our community.
morning's prayers of the people are adopted from the Iona community in Scotland, Cardinal Duvall and Carrie Weber. I invite you now to join your hearts together with ours and let us pray. You, O Lord, in times such as these, we remember our greater than all that we can think of, smaller than all that we can imagine and see, and nearer to us than the secrets of our heart. For you, O Lord, are the breath of being before us and behind us and beside us. You are the creator of all that is above us and beneath us, for we stand as your creation in the middle. And so this morning, O Lord, we gather in your presence from near and from far, one in the spirit, choosing to walk once again humbly with you as the prophet proclaims. Because you are and we are through you and together with you now and forever. And so, O Lord, help us, we pray, to carry with us the lessons found here at the station of the cult free us from the desire of being esteemed and honored. Deliver us from the desire of being preferred to others, consulted and approved, fearing to be forgotten, of being ridiculed, of being wrong. Grant us the grace and insight to seek instead humility, to know in this season of Lent that you invite us to enter Jerusalem from the east and not from the west, and by so doing to create in our mind, our heart, our soul, the ability and the space for you to lift us up. Hear now our silent prayers of awareness, recognition, and praise. In your ministry, O Lord, and along your journey to Jerusalem, we read how you traveled through towns and villages and cured disease and illness. Come to our aid now, we pray, in the midst of the spread of COVID-19, so we might experience your healing love. Heal those who are sick, we pray that they may regain their strength and their health. Heal us, we pray, from our fear of the unknown of each other and of the future. Heal us from our pride, which can make us claim invulnerability to a disease that knows no borders. Be with those who have died from the virus, we pray. May they be at rest with you in your eternal presence. 
be with families of those who are sick or have died as they worry and grieve. May they come to know your peace. Be with doctors and nurses and researchers and all medical professionals who seek to heal and to help those affected and who put themselves at risk. May they know your protection. Be with the leaders of all nations. Give them the foresight to act with compassion, empathy, and concern for the well-being of the people they are meant to serve. Whether we are surrounded by many this morning, a few, or are by ourselves, Help us to remember we are all one in the Spirit. And whenever we choose to walk beside you and to note the cult that you rode upon, what we will discover in that act and image of humility is the strength to endure, to persist, and to ultimately be lifted up here our silent prayers. Now I invite you to join your voice together with mine as we say a prayer spoken by disciples throughout the generations, a prayer that unites us with each other and with a God of faith and hope and love. And with one voice, let us say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
And if anything, what has happened over these past few weeks? This world has found itself on the eastern edge of Jerusalem, riding a lowly colt, and not vainly as a triumphant procession, an empire from the west. But the thing is, the station of the colt proclaims, when we do enter from the east, whenever we are humble, it is there and it is then. In that place and within that attitude, God can then lift us up. For it is there we will not only find the cult, but it is there that we will find Jesus. And now as you go out into this day, know that the steadfast love of God surrounds you. The peace of Christ attends to you. And the Spirit will guide you this day and forevermore. Amen.